But anyway, if you could turn your Bibles to the book of Philippians, chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. And let's look tonight as the, the title of the message is Lights in the World. And Philippians chapter 2. Let's look at God's Word tonight. Philippians chapter 2. Let's look at verse 12. It says, Wherefore, that's a transition, transition word right here. We're talking about something else now. Paul changes. It says, Wherefore, my beloved, that's a wonderful word, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do all things without murmuring and disputing, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I, uh, I'm sorry, that I have not run in vain, neither labor in vain. Yea, if, and if, if I offer it upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, so much for the book of Philippians. What a wonderful book. What an encouraging book, Lord. The Lord Paul was writing, and he was in prison. And he's trying in his condition to encourage others who were free at the time. Lord, what a mindset, what a heart of a man that loved other people. I pray, Father, Lord, give us that heart for people, a heart that we love others. And let's do that without murmuring and disputing. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. So tonight, lights in the world. We ought to be lights in the world. You say, well, Pastor, there's a lot of darkness in our world today. You're absolutely true. If there's a lot of darkness, the, what the world needs is what? Lights. Let's say when at home, at home, let's say in the middle you're watching TV or whatever you do, and, and poof, power goes off. What happened? Total darkness, right? Every electronic thing that you have stops. Even uh, that annoying, uh, uh, what's that, her name? Alexa, Alexa stops too. <laughs> She's totally gone. I like, praise the Lord. But, you know, you go look for light, right? You look for a flashlight. You look for a thing because you want light. And we're like, oh, you can see something. You know, I can do something. Otherwise, it would be darkness completely. Let me tell you, our world is full of darkness. But there is light in this world. The light of the gospel. And you know what? We, we are to shine as light so others can see the love of Christ in us. And if they see that, we might make a difference in people's lives. So we have been working in our way through the book of Philippians and learning what it is, what it means to be or to, to press on together. So, so far we have seen the importance of verbally sharing the gospel with others. We have seen the importance of unity in the body of Christ for, effect, uh, for an effective gospel witness. Now Paul takes us a step further he sh and shares with us in the, import the importance of personal obedience for our gospel witness. So, your life and the way you live 
have a huge impact on, on your witness for the gospel of Christ. Let me put it this way. In a workplace, okay, if you try to blend with the crowd and swear like they do, talk like they do, dirty jokes like they do, how are you, how, how you, how you going to reach them for the Lord? Because as soon as you open your mouth and say, they're going to say, you aware? And you learn what? It's going to come out. But if we put a stand and if we live godly lives, they know who you are. They know you. And believe me, it happens many times. When they come, would you pray for me? Why they don't go tell their friends, Do you, would you pray for me? They come telling you. Because you know you're a person of prayer. They know you go to church. They know you're different. This week, I was sitting at my desk, came to my desk, sit down, was doing some paperwork, and there was a man that came. Oh, actually, Filthy Adam came. And believe me, our God uses people. And uh, another supervisor came, and he said something very inappropriate. And uh, Filthy Adam goes, you can't talk like that. He's a pastor. I'm so sorry, he goes. What a blessing. You know, even somebody that's worldly as can be recognizes. You know, I'm not because we are. And listen, should be all of us. Should be all of us. The people should recognize who we are because we have a standard of living. We're not to try to be better than anybody else because we're not, but we have the light of Christ in us. Okay? And that's what Paul's trying to encourage the Philippians to be here. So, um, another thing that is very noticeable that I'm going to, uh, uh, let me see, maybe I went ahead of myself. Oh, uh, yes, I went ahead of myself a little, a little too much here. So when I was a child, to give you a little analogy here, I live in the Azores Islands, more than likely in some, or oh, you say in Portuguese, so you can learn the language, San Miguel, okay? So I get, San Michael is not Michael, in Portuguese it's San Miguel. That's the name of it. But there's one thing in the islands, I remember even a kid, uh, you're away from the big cities, you don't have all the lighting. At night it gets very dark. But there's one thing that we used to see in the hills, the little lights of those houses, they used to shine bright. You know, it was dark, you look up in the hills, because you know, it's a volcanic island, can you imagine? It's not flat, it's full of hills and mountains, and you can see the lights. It was interesting. But another thing that was very interesting is the stars. They used to shine really bright. You look up and you, you could see all the, those stars and those names that we call. And all I got there, you could see it. You know, the, 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 even in the summer nights, it was full of stars. Like, you come to America, what happens to the stars? <laughs> They're all gone. You know, so it's too much lighting. That's what it is. So, um, so, but just like those lights on the hills and, and, and all across the Azores, Azores skies, God calls you to let the beauty of Christ's light shine through you. That's what God wants us to do. Uh, in, 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 and we, we see this in Matthew 5 when the Lord compares us to those things. So uh, you see the, sh the shining light stars in the dark, in the dark, dark, shine in the dark, in the dark world or in the darkness of night. But the gospel should shine as well. You know what? You go to, the you go to work. You take the gospel with you. You are the gospel. You might be the only Bible that people can read. You open your mouth with godly words. So everywhere you go and I go, we are the gospel. We are to be that shining light to a dark world. Because folks, there's an urgency about the gospel. What's the urgency? People are dying every day. You say, Pastor, I can't reach everybody. No, we reach one at a time. That's what we do. Don't get overwhelmed. We reach one at a time. Every opportunity. But you can walk 
by your walk, by the way you live, by the way you behave, by the way you speak, you know what? By the way you present yourself, you are a gospel message to people. Look at the way our world behaves today. Look at the way the, way the world talks today. So, so let's look at this point and think tonight as we look at this press on series from several points tonight. Number one, work out the... Our work of salvation, I'm sorry, our work of salvation. We see this in verse 12 and verse 13. So Paul begins by addressing the Philippians as his dear friends, literally my beloved, he said. My beloved. This recalls the openings of the letter of Paul expressed as deep affection to his friends and Philippians. Listen, we don't use that word today if we write somebody a letter. I mean, let's say you have a good, good friend and you're going to write and you say, my beloved friend. You know what you're saying, right? And the person understands what you're saying when you write the letter. So that's what Paul does right here. He says, my beloved. Like, this people to him were dear people. He loved them. He prayed for them. He wanted the best for them. So Paul right here starts there, there with those words, my beloved. So Paul comm commends them for their obedience in the past. And now he encouraged them to continue in that obedience. The obedience in the past was partly because Paul was right there with them. But now he is gone, he is in prison, and he, may, he, he, he wants them to continue going on in the obedience, not to Paul, but to the Lord. So remember that Paul is in prison, he is facing execution. If the Philippians' uh, obedience is dependent on Paul being there, then it won't last long. They were in trouble. But Paul wants to encourage them, listen, even if I die, keep go on. Don't give up. Listen, if I die tonight, don't give up on the Lord. Keep on going. I'm being serious, okay? I don't want to die. but <laughs> I'm just letting, give, making a point here. So, your obedience must be tied to Jesus alone, not dependent on other people. So, uh, your, your obedience, uh, faithfulness to the Lord should not depend uh, on other people, but depend on you, on your heart, towards the Lord. And you... Together with others, make a team and in line, form a local church, of course, and we we'll serve the Lord together. So actually, I, uh, I know that that is, um, what did I wrote here? I don't know what I wrote here, but anyway. <laughs> so if I'm here or not, I, I see your work of faith. Let me put it this way. When I go away, sometimes I go away. I, got I go away. I go away. I go away twice, twice a year. I go to Florida, to our house in Florida. So we go away for usually two weeks out of there, two weeks, two weeks. That's what we do. Okay? So what we do. We go away. You know what blesses my heart? You continue on. Yeah. Pantry goes on, right? You do the shopping. You do the cleaning. You do the pantry, the open house. Oh, we, we serve the Lord. Yes, I, heard, I hear you singing. I hear the preaching. I hear the amens. You know what? It blesses the heart of a pastor. Amen. You know what? It's not because of me, because of him. Right. He's serving the Lord. I, yes, oh, pastor, I missed you. I miss you guys too. But you know what? It's all because of him. And that's why I do it should be. We keep that's what Paul's saying here. Listen, I'm in prison. I encourage you in the past, but I'm encouraged because you're going on. That's what he's saying here. Well, folks, something goes this way. Paul is teaching, teaching them here about a practical thing right here. So Paul is not asking about uh, I'm, I'm, let me go back a little bit. I, I went ahead of myself. So Paul continues, here we go. Paul continues with this instruction in verse 12. And don't misunderstand this verse, okay? Look what it says. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. See what it says here? You see, this is a verse that is, has been taken out of context by many, many people. Listen, folks, you don't work to be saved. You work because you are saved, okay? But 
Don't misunderstand the context and what Paul, Paul is talking about here because he's not really, he's not talking about salvation the way we're thinking, okay? And I'm going to explain this to you. So a lot of people find these verses confusing because they go, wait a minute. I thought I was saved by faith in Jesus alone, not by works. Correct. What is this working on my salvation? And who's supposed to be working here? Is me? Is it me doing the work or is God doing the work? Well, some folks think things that way, but that's not, like I said, what Paul is teaching here. Paul is not talking about salvation here. He's talking about your, you ready? Sanctification. He's not talking about salvation to be saved. He's talking about your sanctification. A sanctification is something that you and I must do. I cannot work your sanctification. You cannot work my sanctification. My sanctification is mine. It's not my salvation. Salvation is the same for everybody. But sanctification is the same, but some people are ahead of others. You follow that? So, okay. In other words, you don't work to be saved. Jesus did all that for us. We work our, our sanctification because we are saved. Listen, unsaved people cannot work their sanctification because they're lost. You follow that? How can a person work their sanctification if they're lost? They're lost. They need salvation in order to work their sanctification. So another observation is that Paul is talking to, he's talking to saved people who he has been encouraging since he began this epistle. So Paul is not talking to lost people here. He's talking to people who are part of the Philippian church. These are saved people here. Okay, so, so well, let's take a close look at these verses and see what they actually say. There are three important principles to apply here. Number one, you can't work out what you already have. Okay? In other words, you don't work for your salvation. Rather, you are to work out the salvation that you already have. Salvation is by faith in Christ alone. That's it. Right. There's no other way to heaven. The Bible says, actually, go to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. Keep your finger there in our passage. You can see what God is very clear. We have to look at those, those passages and try to understand what the writer is saying here. Look what it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. It says, For by grace are ye saved through faith. It is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. You see, the Bible is clear right here. And actually, in verse 10, goes almost together with Paul saying, For we are as workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God had, had before ordained that we should walk in them. So, we see right here, we look at this passage, we look what Paul is saying, and we know right away as you read that, read that part of that verse, that Paul is not talking about, you must work to be saved. No, we work because we are saved. We serve the Lord because I am saved and grateful that I am saved. You follow that? Okay, so, as you can, can plainly see in these verses, salvation is all God do and not us. We are just the recipients of His wonderful free gift of salvation. Folks, the prophet Isaiah put it this way when he comes to understand our Bible. So, look at what it says in Isaiah 28.10. For precept must be upon precept. Precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here and here little and there little. So if you don't understand a verse or if you have a hard time understanding the passage, never assume. Use your hermeneutics, okay? Read the whole passage. Ask the question, who is he speaking? Who is he speaking to? 
What's the subject of the entire passage? Otherwise, you're going to get lost and turn the verse to say something that this is, is not saying. Paul is not talking about salvation per se here, that you must work to be saved. He's talking about your sanctification. Well, totally two different things. Okay? So, usually when you have the answer for those questions, we will, it will be easy for us to understand the Bible. That's why people say, well, the Bible has, has mistakes on it. No, you just don't understand what you're reading. Right. So, you are saved by faith. No amount of good works or personal effort, whatever, you can ever learn your salvation. So, you are saved by faith, not works. But that doesn't mean there is no place for work in a Christian life. It is faith and obedience go together. Okay? So, uh, you are to work out what God has already worked in you. So, God saved you. You are a child of God. Now God says, I have some work for you. And what we do? We let go of the old habits and we put new things in. Right? Look, okay. I was a liar. I was a thief. I was a gossiper. I can go on and on. No, I let go of these things and put new things in. Goodness, humility, put it in. That's working out your sanctification. You see? And that's something we have to do in ourselves. How we do this, you die to self and serve God. Okay? Let it be. Don't take the working of your salvation lightly. Look at verse 12. Verse 12 says that you are to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You see that? Don't take your salvation for granted. That's what Paul is saying right here. Just don't be a casual Christian when the Lord have, have done so much for you and me. Don't just drift through the, through the week without thought of God and His commands and then come and sing and say, okay, everything is okay. It's not okay. God says, you serve me with fear and tremor. Not like, you know, fear of God that you know what is. No, no, no. It's a reverent respect for who He is. That's what the one of the Bible says. The fear of the Lord is that as a reverence that we have for who He is. He is God Almighty. And who we are, we're just falling creatures. Okay? Salvation is not only something you receive, but something that you know that you do or you know that you have. You are possessed of salvation, and now you work in sanctification. So working on your salvation means life, uh, means live in obedience to the Lord. And you say, Pastor, what about when I fall? Well, it's forgiveness. Right? When we fall, we ask the Lord to forgive us. Because we will fall. We send for creatures. You know, like, you know, some fall purposely, some fall, they don't want to fall, but they find themselves falling. You know what? And we ask the Lord to forgive us. So, you need to work out your sanctification with an attitude of awe and respect towards God who saved you. Let us see. You don't work out unless, I'm sorry, it, work, it won't work out unless God is already working. Okay? Look what it says in verse 13. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. So you, can earn, you can't earn your salvation on your own. It's God who does the work. And remember, it's God who's going to help you on your sanctification. Who's going to help you? The Spirit of God. He lives in you, dwells in you. Now you know what? He's the one who's going to teach you how to pray. He's going to teach you how to talk to the Heavenly Father. He's going to teach you how to live right, how to do right, how to speak right. He's the one who's going to do those things. So, in other words, this isn't, this isn't a game. The God who created the universe is alive and working in you. Can you imagine that? And because God is working, you need to, to be working too. 
folks, people say, oh, the Christian life is so hard. Let me ask this one. Really? Is it really hard? It's like saying to a father or a family that had like 10 kids. And the father is equally and the mother. They give the same rules to all the kids. And one says, one out of the 10 says, oh, my mom and dad is so hard. Are they hard or are you, dis- or are you disobedient? Because the other nine are not complaining. You see, the same thing with us. Listen, if we gonna, if you will live a life as a Christian life in disobedience to the Lord, yes, it's going to be hard. But if we live a life of, a life of obedience, it's a joy. You see the difference? I live in obedience to the Lord. I, I have joy singing. I have joy serving. I have joy reading my Bible. I have joy telling others about Jesus. But if you, am I disobedient to Him and want to live for myself, guess what happens? It becomes a job. Because you don't do it out of love, you do it because you think you have to. It's the same thing in a home. There right? goes the ten kids, okay? The other nine are very obedient. They rejoice to be with mom and dad. The other one, it goes, oh, it is a job just to try to be good. Why? Because they don't want to be obedient. So, let's go to point number two. So, point number two is back up your witness with your life. Back up your witness with your life. That leads to our second instruction here. It says back up your, your, uh, uh, your witness with your life. As a Christian, we must reflect Jesus. We can't say one thing and do another. Too many people have been turned away from Jesus because, listen to this, they say it's too much hypocrisy in the church. Your life must, must match up your testimony. What is the old saying? Actions speak so loudly that I cannot hear what you're saying. Personal obedience is essential part of our, your personal witness. So you must back up your witness with your life. It, 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 it's easy to understand. We all understand this. All right. If I'm going to witness, if I want to witness somebody about the Lord, give them the gospel. You know, I want them to see that I live different. I'm different, and I want them to. Be attracted by that. Say like, oh, something happened to you. Oh, I like that. And they're drawn to Christ because the life that you live in the way you present yourself. So letter, letter A, non-complaints is allowed. Non-complaints, I put us allowed, is allowed. Non-complaining is allowed. And that word is wrong. I'm going to correct myself right here. But if you have there on your outline is non-complaining is allowed. Okay? Non-complaining is allowed there. So look what it says in verse 14. Do all things without murmuring and disputing. So now, to, to, to do things without, uh, now to do some things without murmuring and complaining. Do most things without murmuring and complaining. Do everything without murmuring and complaining. So that's pretty much, it rules out everything. God wants to do us to do everything without murmuring and complaining. And we are good people to do that. We are good murmurers and good complainers. And we do that. You know what? God says, trust me, have faith in me, believe in me, and don't complain. Okay. The word murmuring actually means complaining, whispering, complaining, or under your breath, like just like talking. And you, you know, sometimes when somebody's talking, you go, wow, what did you say? Oh, Nothing. It's better they say nothing because nothing good came out of those words, you know. But that's murmuring and complaining. So, so, only, so not only is out of out and, and uh, the complaining, but complaining is prohibited in the Christian life. 
But even that murmuring on the, your breath is, is not acceptable either. So we have to be people of the book and say, you know, murmuring is out of limits. God in, and um, the Apostle Paul says right here, do all things without murmuring and complaining. So this was a problem of Israel in the wilderness, wasn't it? God worked amazing miracles in them, did miracles in Egypt, took them to the, to the promised land. And the reason why they stood so long in the, in, in, away from the promised land is because of their what? Murmuring and complaining. Everything, they, mur- they murmur so much about the leadership. They murmur against God. They test God. All that. And they, all the way, and God, to a point that God says, your, car- your carcasses will be in this desert. Nobody's going to make it to the promised land besides whom? There you go. You see, murmuring is complaining. It doesn't look good in the life of a Christian. So this was, like I said, a problem with the, the, uh, the Jewish people. So they grumble, they grumble, they whine, they complain, complain, and complain. They never stop. So what about us today? God sent Jesus to die for you. God forgive your sins. He gave you a Holy Spirit to live within you and to guide you and to teach you the ways of God. He gave you a new purpose, a new direction for life. He hears all your prayers. He answers according to His wisdom and power and love. And what we do, oftentimes, we complain. You see that? Grumble, grumble, whine, whine, complaining, complaining, complaining. Why do we waste so much energy complaining? Complaining makes you unhappy, and it makes everyone around you unhappy. Okay? Do you really want to back up your witness with your life? I, I thought it this way. There is two men at my job. I said, go back to my job. Oh, I work at my job, okay? There's two men at my job. They're the worst pessimists i ever seen in my life. I'm not kidding you. So every time we have a meeting, guess, guess who opens their mouth first? Them too. It doesn't matter if there's a plate of gold given to them. It doesn't matter what they receive. It's always some remark. And it's always negative. I'm like, why are you complaining? The other day they adjust their, well last year, they adjust their pay. There was those two guys are welders. So they adjust their pay to the welders. Not you. You're not, not you. I'm talking about you. <laughs> He's a welder. So, uh, and, uh, and what happened is, Instead of saying, oh, thank you, Lord, that is a good increase in my pay. You know what they said? Both of those guys, I think we deserve a little more than that. I'm not kidding you. They're like, you know, complaining, complaining, complaining. Why? Why? We waste so much energy complaining, we forget about the goodness of the Lord. God is good. So, let it be, stand out from the world. Not just complain, you know, stop complaining, but stand up, uh, I'm sorry, stand out from the world. Look, it says in verse 15, that you may, may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom he shine as lights in the world. See what I got my title right from that little words right there. As Christians, we are to stand out of the world, out from the world. So God calls you to be blameless and pure children of God without fault. So the idea here is that is not that you will be perfect because nobody is perfect or sinless, but that you will live your life in such a way that no one can criticize or question your status as a child of God. So we are children of God, and too, uh, but too often we act like we are children of the culture. If you allow the culture to mold you, you become, people may, may look at you as just another person 
just another human being instead of saying, oh, that is a Christian. See the difference? If we let the culture to mold us, we begin to look more like the culture than we look like the children of God. I mean, they give it this way. When, the, when Joseph in Egypt faced his brothers, they did, did, uh, did their brothers recognize him? No. Why? Because he was looking like an Egyptian. He didn't look like a Hebrew. He was looking like an Egyptian. They never recognized him. Oh, Joseph recognizes brothers, but these brothers don't recognize him. It's the same thing. You know what? If we allow the culture to mold us, we begin to look like the culture around us. And our culture is not very godly. Actually, look what Paul says. What he says back then is the same thing today. He says, look what he says, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world. You see, he says to you and me, he says to the Philippian church, applies to us today, he says, you live amongst a crooked and perverse nation. Is not what we see around us today? We were having dinner last night in a restaurant up in Warren. And it was a group of men, a few tables down. It was so loud. And the language that was going in there, it was out of this world. Perverse nation. They didn't care who was around. If it was kids or elderly people, they didn't care. It was all about them. You see... We are the children of God, but too often we act like we are the children of culture. We try to blend in. We allow the world around us to conform us to, the, to its image. Let, and let, uh, rather than let God, let, let, uh, rather than I'm sorry, us change into the image of Christ. So how can you back up your witness with your life if your life is, uh, is, uh, uh, is molded by the culture? So what is the world around you? The Bible is called a crooked, like I said, and perverse nation. We live in a dark world, and that has left to, and that has left the light of God of God's truth far behind. So the world doesn't care about God, doesn't care about church, doesn't care about the word of God. And what we do, we ought to shine as lights in this dark world. So the world declares independence from God and operates by its own set of rules. God calls you to shine like stars in the midst of a a uh, dark world. So you can you um, I mean, I'm sorry you are in the world, but you are not of the world. You are a citizen of heaven. Can you imagine you shining like a stars at night, shining during the day as the night? So, Pastor, how I do this? The way we talk, the way we behave, the way we present ourselves, the way we dress. You say, really? Yes. You say, but that doesn't listen. I don't want to, I'm not going to say that you go dress like the little house in the prairie. You know, there's old movies. Not like that, but dress with decency. And God honors those things. So God calls us to do this. And let us see, hold forth the words of life to others. Look, it says in verse 15, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, same verse, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among his shines as lights in the world. So when God tells you not not, tells you not complaining or arguing, and when he calls you to be blameless and pure, this is not uh, this is a is personal obedience for us to follow. And as children of God, we ought to follow that. So you ought to shine as like stars as you hold the word of life to others. You know what? If I'm going to give the gospel to someone and they know what the gospel is, they know what the word of God is, we should back up with our lives. We should back it up. 
with our lives. If I said, hey, listen, I have something for you to read here. Oh, would you come to church with me this Sunday? They look at you and respect you because they know that you are different. See, it's, it's only the, the, the good news of Jesus that brings light in life to salvation. Actually, go to Matthew chapter 5, and let's see what the Lord, uh, Jesus says about us right there, the way we should be. Matthew 5, 14. And he's, he points it right out for us, the way we should be in, in, the, in the world. Look what it says. Matthew 5, 14, it says, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is sitting on a hill cannot hid, neither do men light a candle and put it on the bushel, but on the candlestick, and give it light unto all that is in the house. There are in the house, I'm sorry. Let you, look what it says. Let your light so shine before men, that he may see your good works, and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So what Jesus said to us in here, let your light, the light of the gospel, shine in you so much that people will see it. Notice that Paul relates the Philippian obedience to this command to us, uh, to his own reward in the day of Christ. Look, it says in actually verse 16, it says, That I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labor in vain. What he's trying to say here, a picture in Olympic run, a training, day in and day out, and after, uh, uh, after and I'm, I'm sorry, and, uh, day in and day out, year in and year out, and after he fails to qualify for the Olympic as, as he runs the race. It said it is a, man, a moment of, disappointment. And Paul says right here, I want you to run that race so I can glory in you. What a blessing. It's the same thing for us. We went somebody to Christ. We went to somebody. We lead them to Christ. We, we disciple them and we rejoice as we see them grow in the Lord. It should be a joy for all of us. So Paul says to Philipp, the Philippians, don't let your, your labor, don't, I'm sorry, don't run your labor in vain for nothing. I share the gospel with you so that you would make a difference in your make a difference in your own life and so that you would make a difference in the lives of others. If you don't live out the gospel in your uh, in your own life and share with others then all my work is in vain. So Paul says here. So what Paul said? Paul is trying to encourage them and be a blessing to them. He says to them, okay, I, I led you to the Lord. I mean, I'm away from you right now, but I want you to move forward so I can rejoice with you because I know you're moving forward. Same thing with us. I just said that. You know what? We witness to someone. We lead them to the Lord. We disciple them. Then we rejoice in their growth. And we will rejoice because they're growing in the Lord as well. So number three, so if our first point is number one is our work of salvation. Number two, back up your witness with your life. And number two, rejoice in your sacrifice. Look at verse 7 and verse 8. Yea, and if I, if, if I offer upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. And finally, we see, we see right here, we see joy and rejoicing and sacrifice together. So letter A, you see, Pouring yourself out in service to others. That's what verse 17. Paul to the Philippians in verse 5 that they should have the same attitude as Jesus had. Here in verse 17 he shows that he has the same attitude as Jesus. Jesus empty himself in obedience to the Father. Paul pours himself out for the Philippians here. Get this. In the Old Testament, a drink offering of wine was often poured out in conjunction with the sacrifice in the altar. You see this in Numbers chapter 28, verse 7. It's to get this. 
Paul pictured himself as the drink offering being put out to the sacrificial service of the Philippians. His heart was for this church. He loved the people of that church. And he wanted them to move forward and grow in the Lord. So he has put himself out for them and for the gospel. He has given them all. And as Christian, God calls you to put yourself in the service of others. That's what Paul said. God, the, Lord, the Lord says, better to give than to receive. But how wonderful it is to, to see other brothers and sisters in Christ growing in the Lord. And we pour our hearts to them. You see, it is, it is a community life of serving each other out of obedience to the Lord. God wants us to what? Serve each other. That's what He wants us to do, to serve each other. In many ways, we can serve each other. One thing we should do is pray for each other. We should pray for each other all the time. I mean, if you forget names, make a list. Make a list. Put a notebook. Keep it with you. Pray for people individually. You know, that's one thing, serving each other. Is a person, is somebody need in the church? Let's help them. We are in need in the church. Let them help you. You see, let it be mutual sacrifice, mutual joy. Look what it says in verse 18. For, for the same cause also, do you joy and rejoice in me. So it is also a life of mutual sacrifice and mutual joy. People, it should be your joy to put yourself out in sacrificial service for each other. You know, we serve Jesus by serving others. You follow that? If you give somebody a glass of water, give it in the name of Jesus. If you give somebody a meal, give it in the name of Jesus. If you serving in the church, do it in the name of Jesus. You know, whatever we do, do it in the name of Jesus. Because let me tell you this, from the most insignificant thing in a local church to the most, I'm sorry, the most highest thing, everything is done with joy you do for each other. Listen, if you want, if you, there was a man like that, I'm not saying you should do, but there was a man in our church. I grew up in Baptist, he's no longer there. Oh, I don't even know what's of, the, of him. But he used to do this. Every, the end of every service, he used to go in every pew. When they used to have pews, they don't have pews anymore. <laughs> they used to go every pew and put the, the hymnals all in order. Nice, not only. And you say, what the hell is he doing that for? He was serving others. He wanted everything to look, look nice and neat for the glory of the Lord. And he did that. And one time I asked him, brother, you're doing a good job. He goes, it's for the Lord. And praise the Lord for that because I never thought about doing that. There's other ones that go around and pick up any little speck of paper that falls on the, on the floor. That must be looking significant, but you know what? We're doing that. When we do that, we're serving others. Any little thing, we're serving others. And that's what the, the Paul is trying to say then. You know what? We rejoice. We have joy in our hearts when our hearts is when we serve others rather than serve ourselves. Because, you know, this is the culture. The culture says, you deserve. It's about you. And God says, no, it's about others. Jesus came to uh, to serve, not to be served. He gave us that, uh, that example. He washed the disciples' feet. Who should be washed? Jesus should be washed. You know why? He gave that example to us. Mutual sacrifice, mutual joy. So people, it should be your joy to pour yourself in sacrificial service for others. I believe that this goes uh, on in this church every single week. Here in this church, I'm talking about here. I see, I, I'm, I praise the Lord for you, or most of you, I'd say that, you know what? Because I see the sacrificial service that goes here. I see what people go out of their way to serve the Lord. And they would say, I, I, I can be used, I can be used, use me. 
It blesses my heart. You know what? Sacrificial joy for each other. We do it that for what? For you gets the glory. God gets the glory. Glory goes to Him. So, let me put it this way. Don't resent your sacrifice. Don't resent the service uh, that you expend for others. Be glad and let us rejoice together. You know what? I think we should have something here. Maybe we should do that in the future. We go get those little, we call them maracas things. Is that maracas the name of it? You know what? And when somebody comes with a blessing, we're going to plow. You know what? Because we need to encourage one another in the things of the, don't we? You know, because it's encouraging. Hey, you know what? I took so-and-so to the grocery store. You know, I have a car. I took him there. You know, it was a joy. I saw them smile because they could buy the groceries. You know what? Let's rejoice together. You know, because it's a good thing. You know, it is a good thing. You know what? I helped somebody today, you know, uh, uh, splitting wood in their house because they don't, they, they have a wood stove and then the winter's coming. Let's rejoice together. That's what Paul is talking about here. Let's rejoice together. What about an old lady that have a house and she can't clean the leaves? Let's go and clean the leaves. That's what Paul's saying here. Mutual sacrifice, mutual joy. So don't resent your sacrifice to the Lord. Don't resent the, the service expend to others. Be glad and let us rejoice together. We have been talking about pressing on and being partners of the gospel together. We now, we see the partnership of the gospel. What it does, it brings us together. And that's the way it should be. So we share salvation together and we believe the gospel together. We share evangelism together. We spread the gospel together. We share in a Christian grow together and we obey the gospel together. We share in sacrifice together and we, you know, we, we, we rejoice together. We share joy with one another and we praise the Lord together. So we are partners together in the gospel and that's what Paul's trying to say here. Paul says, you know what? Don't look where I am. Pray for me. But guess what? Go on. It will bless my heart. Same thing with you and me. I conclude with this tonight. Personal obedience to Jesus is essential, is an essential part of our gospel witness. Personal obedience to Him. And in these verses, God, God gives us three motives for, to obey Jesus right here. Work out your sanctification. Back up your witness with your life and rejoice in your sacrifice. Listen, everything you do for God, don't complain. That's what he's saying. Everything you do for God, don't complain. Do it with joy. You drive into church. Oh, this rain. Lord, thank you for the rain. You drive into church, it's snowing. Oh, this snowing. Lord, thank you for the white snow. It reminds me that I'm whiter than snow now because I've been forgiven. You see, you can turn negative with positive. Why be a negative when we can be positive? You know, oh Lord, I had a hard time coming to church. Don't you smile when you see the donuts? <laughs> somebody went by it. You know, let's rejoice together because somebody was willing to buy it. You see, it's for the glory of the Lord. Work out your sanctification. Back up your witness with your life. Rejoice in the sacrifices you make for others. Rejoice with that. Shine like stars as you hold out the word of life to a desperate and watching world. I tell you what, our world needs Jesus. I don't care what people say. I don't care how smart they think they are. Our world needs Jesus. 
Because if these people leave this world without Jesus, they're going to regret for all eternity. You know what? And you know what we do as Christians? We are to shine as lights in the world because we are the light of the world. That's who we are. You say, oh, Pastor, I don't feel like a light. You are the light of the world. It came out from the lips of Jesus. We are the light of the world. We are to shine as lights to this world. They need to see the love of Christ in us and working through us. You know what? If you look at a, a lighthouse, the lighthouse doesn't contain the light. It spreads it out. Right? So people can see it. You know what? We have to spread the light so people can see it. That they can see they are in danger and they need salvation. Shall we pray heavily, Father? Thank you, Lord, for this book of Philippians. What a-